There are 2 million podcasts in the world today. And you, dear listener, have put us in that top 1% of listened to podcasts in the world. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And because of that, Inverse Podcast has grown from a popular podcast to a global community who together are decolonizing faith, disarming hope, and learning to live that liberating love found in Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, Drew and I share this simple conviction. Information doesn't equal transformation. So as great as the podcasts are, as great as the conversations are, transformation actually requires community. It requires real embodiment. It requires economic redistribution of those on the journey, and it requires a mutuality that is truly shared. One of the incredible things we've seen the spirit do during the pandemic is knit together several formation communities across the planet. And those very same communities have been begging for opportunities to come together, which is why we're really excited to announce that Eastern Mennonite University, which is world renowned for their conflict transformation programs, has actually invited Inverse Collective to partner with them, to collaborate, to dream, and to join them for Eastern Mennonite Seminary's School for Leadership Conference um, this January. The conference uh, is going to be uh, discipleship at the intersections of race, place, and catastrophe. That's climate catastrophe, um, with the sub-focus becoming grapevine and fig tree planters in a time of crisis. Uh, so we're really excited. And this is going to be, Jared, check this out, a hybrid in-person and virtual conference. It's pretty exciting. So this is how it's going to work. Uh, there will be those who are able to gather in person in Virginia at Eastern Mennonite University. Um, but those who are finding it difficult to uh, travel at the moment because of uh, everything being up in the air with the pandemic, there is also a gathering being organized by our inverse um, community across Europe who are getting together in Ross Trevor um, on the border of the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. So there's there, that opportunity as well. Um, there's also the opportunity to join it virtually. So if um, uh, you're listening from elsewhere in the world uh, and you have a baby on the way, such as me, some of us will be just jumping in and listening from where we are. Um, there are several special guests to be announced, but EMU have kindly invited um, Dr. Drew, um, uh, Kara Unger, and myself to be keynotes. And there are other incredible speakers. And Drew, maybe we should share some of those people now. Um, so uh, one off um, the top right now is uh, climate scientist and theologian from Australia, Dr. Mick Pope. Another one we're really excited about our friend Kenyan, uh, our Kenyan liturgist friend, Wanjaku Mwangi, who will be um, partnering with Melissa Deacon to lead a workshop. Um, student Dean of Nates Down Under, Trollaway academic Naomi Wolf will be presenting. And uh, people can be excited about this. We've got a crowd favorite. We've got Robert Monson, who's going to be joining us from Three Black Men podcast. Come on. And uh, Mataponi Tribe member and Pastor Sarah Quint, as well as many, many more. Yep. There's going to be so many uh, really great contributions. And along with that, we're going to be um, just ushered into the presence of God through gospel music led by our very own Christopher Mason. And as well, of course, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to play uh, because we've got the inverse director of fun and facil facilitator of joy, Naya Abernathy, who's going to make sure that the party keeps going uh, throughout our week. 
And of course, all of this is going to be done uniquely with um, just in the spirit of the inverse way, um, with a true listening spirituality, um, really taking seriously our walk with Jesus. And so if you want to join us um, January 10th through 13th, that's Monday through Thursday, uh, make sure that all you got to do is just simply click the link in the show notes and you can secure your place and get all the other information that you need so that you can be there and be present with us. We're looking forward to it. See you there. You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna. And this is Inverse. I am so excited to introduce our guest for today. We have Sarah Bessie. Uh, she is the editor of the New York Times bestselling book, A Rhythm of Prayer. She's also the author of three popular and critically acclaimed books, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith, and Jesus Feminist. Sarah co-leads Evolving Faith, a conference and community for wanderers and wanderers, and she serves as president of the board for Heartline Ministries in Haiti. Sarah lives in Calgary, Alberta, with her husband and their four children, and you can find her online at sarahbessie.com. And so, Sarah, uh, good to see you again, and uh, welcome to Inverse Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so glad we finally managed to make this work. I feel like I've been looking forward to it for so long. Sarah, you were actually on the list of um, some of the first people uh, wanted on the podcast. So the fact that it's happening now is a is a great, great joy. Hey, um, we're really looking forward to this conversation, but I wanted to give you an opportunity right at the start to talk about your latest offering to the world, um, this book that you've put out that um, has been really well received. Um, uh, but just to give people an opportunity to know if they're loving this conversation and haven't seen it yet, what what is currently on offer? Oh, um, sure. Well, uh, the book is called uh, A Rhythm of Prayer, and it's um, I'm actually the editor as well as a contributor right. to it because it's a collaborative um, book of prayer. Um, and so I came I came to work on the book in the immediate I mean weeks after um, losing my friend, Rachel Held Evans in May of 2019. And um, I was completely devastated in, in the ways of my people. Um, I wanted to get to work. <laughs> Canadian Prairie kid. It's just like work fixes everything, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> and so the project was collaborative, even in origin um, between myself and my uh, literary agent, who was also Rachel's um, agent and friend, uh, the eventual publisher. I had always um, intended to write about prayer and wanted to um, because it's a huge part of my life um, and probably more so on the other side of, um, I don't know, burning down everything, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, um, mm -hmm. at evolving faith, we often use like the metaphor of wilderness for that. But I know like, you know, people have a lot of words that are kind of in circulation and maybe overused at this point, like deconstruction, but, yeah. um, but I knew 
I think that when I began to envision it, I just didn't really want to write about prayer in a way that was prescriptive because to me, it's an in, intensely personal. Um, and so I just kind of was stuck on it for a bit. And it was in that summer that I began to realize that what I was really longing for um, was to just rest and almost be held up in the prayers of women. Hmm. And so I turned towards this community of collaborators and basically just trusted the Holy Spirit there. I said, show me how you pray. Um, I didn't want nice and tidy prayers that people would just be able to recite. I wanted things that were um, an equal parts of an example and an invitation, that there would be a sense of permission to it. And so the women who are the contributors there are the people that I felt I could trust with people whose hearts were broken. Um, with people who um, had a lot of unanswered prayers even. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the point was to say that however prayer looks for you, you still get to pray, right? That you don't have to, um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. The There's room for your whole self there. You don't have to pretend that you're less angry than you are or less sad than you are. Um, And I look to the Psalms a lot for that sort of permission in my own life. I think that scripture Mm -hmm. often gives us a more honest um, and complete, complete view of prayer than churchy people do. Right. right. Yep. And so then being able to gather almost in this like prayer circle that I got to have before anybody in the world got a chance to see it, you know, with, Barbara Brown Taylor and, and uh, Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes and mm-hmm. uh, Lisa Sharon Harper and Caitlin Curtis and um, Amina Brown and Micah Boya. I mean, just so many others. And they showed up with, you know, liturgy and guided meditations and some imprecatory prayers and, mm-hmm. you know, just cries for lament of lament and justice and challenge and comfort and Psalms. I mean, it just turned into so much more than I could have imagined or expected. Um, And it was such a gift to me at a time when I really desperately needed it, that in a lot of ways, the response of people to the book, um, which was overwhelmingly positive, not entirely, um, was, it felt like extra because I felt like it, it, it it is doing the work that I wanted it to do. So I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of us. I think we built something really beautiful. Yeah. And I think you should be proud of the pushback as well. The problems that people had with it are the kind of problems that you'd want people to have. Like, so, so well done. Yeah. Listen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. if you're not making a few people angry, you're usually on too safe of a side of the street. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I think the very first term time I heard about it was people's just response rate to Shaniqua Walker Barnes, beautiful written, you know, mm-hmm. prayer. Yeah, it was both striking to see the response and then to actually, because you all let it loose into the world, and then yeah. to actually read it, you'd be like, what? I don't even understand what people are talking about. Mm-hmm. But I think in some ways, the beauty of her prayer, um, you know, really invited even more people into the conversation. So I, 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 yeah, that was that was um, quite profound. But I'm grateful for um, just that chorus of women and the prayers that you mm-hmm. guys have um, provided us. It's It's timely and needed yeah it's yeah. a gift absolutely thank you thank you i'm yeah. really glad to hear that yeah um 
you know, one of the things that we like to do um, is, you know, we like to explore uh, scripture and people's stories and stuff, but we like to actually set the atmosphere with a biblical text. And so, Sarah, do you have a, a text that you'd like to read up front that we can kind of just ground the rest of the atmosphere of our conversation around? Yeah, absolutely. I it will, it will surprise like zero people that I wanted to use some of the words of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> this is something I know that we all have in common. It's like still not over Jesus. No, you know? not yet. Not yet. Mm-mm. No. And so um, I turned to a passage um, that has meant a lot to me in my own life at multiple points, um, sometimes for personal reasons, sometimes for communal reasons, um, political reasons. Um, and in so many different ages and stages of my life. And when I was thinking about kind of where we have landed um, and even what the past few, not just days, but weeks or years have been for people, it seemed like it might be a good space for us to kind of spend some time. I'm really interested to hear um, what you guys have to say about it too. Um, So I'm over in Matthew 11, uh, 28 to 30. And it says, come to me, this is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wanted to also read it in the message, uh, paraphrase, because um, at a time in my life when I really desperately needed to hear these words. My dad sent them to me in the message. And so I wanted to include that for everyone Um, because Eugene Peterson wrote it as, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Mm. It's beautiful. Sarah, um, before we explore the passage, uh, we want to invite you to to bring us into some of your story. We're convinced that um, biography is theology. Um, Mm. uh, Theology is never an abstraction away from uh, the, the stories that we swim in, including our own, um, we usually get at that with the question, when do you first remember encountering the Bible? Are there particular memories um, that, that come up for you? Oh, absolutely. I, <laughs> I love this question. I think that you learn so much about people, um, you know, on the podcast when you hear this question. Uh, so my parents are first generation uh, Christians. They became uh, Christians when I was a kid. And I grew up in um, a community and in a context that was really staunchly quite post-Christian, right? Like it was Mm. not that our parents had stopped going to church or our grandparents. It was like the last generation that went to church was, you know, our great grandparents, Mm -hmm. right? So churches are empty. And my parents um, just had a really strong encounter with God. There's a pastor that moved in next door and there were, you know, a few other crazy things that kind of went along with it. Honestly, it all tracks back to a 14 year old babysitter who gave us the bullfrogs and butterflies album. Like you can't make this stuff up. (laughs) 
So, for, for those of us who, who are unaware, what, what's bullfrogs and butterflies? Oh, I'm sorry. This might be a cultural moment. So, <laughs> so it was, um, we had a 14-year-old babysitter, actually Drew, um, a Mennonite uh-huh. babysitter, was a baby uh, family. And my um, mom had kind of grown up in a context where she was really looking for role models on how to be a mom, how to be a wife, how to kind of move through her life. And she saw this family that lived across the alley from my granny. And, you know, they had a garden and they had their washing out on the line. And she thought, well, they look like they know what they're doing. And so they became friends and, uh, and their daughters became our babysitters. And so the eldest daughter, Lila, um, decided she wanted to give us a Christmas present and she bought a record album. So, I mean, probably for some of your listeners, they're like <laughs> dating yourself, but, <laughs> but she bought us this um, album and it was by this, it was like, um, uh, at the peak of like the late seventies Christian pop, you know, kind of thing. So it was like really upbeat songs about like, um, how both bullfrogs and butterflies both need to be born again and how nothing compares to knowing God, not even riding your bike and, (laughs) you know, just very catchy kids songs. My sister and I love them. We didn't own a lot of records. And so, I mean, we just wore it out, but when we would go to school, my mom would sit at home alone with this record and listen to it over and over and just cry and cry and cry because it was the first time she heard the gospel. Wow. And so that led us to church, which led us to the Bible. Hmm. And so because we didn't know what we didn't know, our pastor, um, I remember he gave my mom like a little paperback of the book of John because she was like, I should start reading my Bible. I'll just start at the beginning. And he was like, no, you don't want to do that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> so, we'll start you off in the book of John. And so, like, some of my earliest memories with the Bible are my mom, you know, curled up in the corner of the couch, crying over the book of John, like this little paperback copy of the book of John, like it was a love letter, hmm. like just loving it. Um, when we went to Sunday school, um, they, my mom would come with me and she would like hand out the crayons to the kids, but she was really there because she wanted to learn the stories. And I remember I got this very real memory of her sitting beside me in like those little like kindergarten plastic chairs and us hearing like a story about Jesus and her like grabbing my hands and going, isn't he amazing? Mm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and there was like a literalism to it um, because, you know, and again, we didn't know what we didn't know. We were brand new to everything. In a lot of ways, my parents and my sister and I have kind of grown up and um, evolved in our response to scripture together, which has mm. been wonderful. Yeah. But like, I remember like my dad reading the, in this, he'd always struggled with sleeping, um, like with anxiety and sleeplessness and things. And he read in, uh, I think it's in the book of Psalms or Proverbs. I can't remember which all of a sudden, um, something about how the Lord gives his beloved sleep. And he like slammed the Bible shut and looked at my mom and he's like, can you believe this? Because we're Christians now I get to have a good night's sleep. And he like, (laughs) And he went to bed and like slept, like you can't make it up. (laughs) And so, you know, now at the time, of course, we didn't have a whole lot of understanding of like, you know, the larger Christian story. We didn't know there were different types. We didn't know kind of where we fit. And so we had found ourselves in kind of this, um, you know, stream that was word of faith. 
that was prosperity gospel, uh, really strong, charismatic, you know, Pentecostalish sort of roots, neo charismatic third wave adjacent, but super word of faithy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, that was kind of where those were a lot of my first, I guess, experiences with scripture, which were sweet. They're sweet memories. Now, even, even though I look back on it sometimes with a, a wry laugh, um, right. for other stories that are maybe not quite so great, but, uh, it was a good way to get started. Well, yeah, that's good. So, so Sarah, I, I mean, and you almost hint at the complexity of it as you look back, but thinking, you know, well, even at the time and then thinking back, um, how would you, how would you describe, you know, how you were encountering scripture? Was it a liberating reality? Was it oppressive? Was it healing? Was it harming? I know everyone kind of has such varied experiences and I'm kind of really curious yeah. to hear um, how you would describe um, your your experiences and how it was being presented and, and your own interpretations of the text. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think like a lot of people, well, maybe not everybody, but I'd, I'd answer both, right? That it yeah. was, it was, it, 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 and depending on the day, I could answer either way. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up word of faith, um, there's such a strong emphasis on scripture in a, mm -hmm. in a, in a kind of over-realized sort of way, you know, we believe that your, um, you know, physical and emotional and spiritual and financial healing, uh, would be found by like speaking the word, you know, just saying the words of the, of scriptures over and over, which is how you, you know, never, never betraying. If you have like a worry or anxiety, like you're never sick, you're coming down with a healing, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You know, you need to get into the word. Like it was almost like the Bible was like the fourth member of the Trinity, right? Which isn't good yeah. math, but you know, you yeah. get it. And I, you know, for better or worse, I've kind of written a little bit here and there about my relationship with scripture and particularly about my relationship with scripture through the lens of coming out of, you know, the prosperity gospel and word of faith. Mm. I mean, I went to Earl Roberts university. Uh, yeah, well. <laughs> oh dear. He's <laughs> <laughs> not wrong. So, I mean, I can and, and do and have um, critiqued that um, maybe more so because it's my, my background. Um, but I remain really grateful for, um, for how scripture worked its way into my imagination mm -hmm. and into my yep. soul. Um, and so you know, in terms of, you know, it was a big reason even what led to writing Jesus Feminist, um, you know, was that you get really told as a woman in the church being told like, well, I suffered not a woman to speak, you know, it's like, well, all right, but also, you know, let's love our Bibles enough to read the whole thing. That would be great. Mm, right. um, so it's been a big part of my story to really love my Bible. Um, and I do. Right. I, I love scripture now more um, deeply. I feel like I um, am so caught by scripture. Um, maybe because I love it for what it is instead of what I tried to make it out to be. Um, yeah. And I, so I found that freedom 
and that wholeness, um, that compelling vision for goodness, uh, mm. shalom and liberation and, and, and um, healing through wrestling um, with scripture for sure. Mm. Sarah, um, this is one of those big points, Scrabble words. Uh, I, I, I struggle to spell hermeneutics, but we like to invite people um, to think about, uh, given their life experience, is there a particular way of reading that has become something that um, you could invite others into if they're seeking life and flourishing and deliverance and liberation? Um, are, are there particular things that come to mind for you when you think about what's what's Sarah Bessie's way of approaching mm. the sacred text? This is where um, I, know, I get nervous, right? Because I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not even close to being the smartest person in the room on any of these sorts of things. I feel my inadequacies often in this space. Um, but I think that my, for me, the first big shift um, towards or the thing that gave my Bible back to me um, was when I was taught to begin to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. Yeah. Um, a lot of that happened when my, my kids were small um, because as a mom at the time, um, we had our first three kids in four years. And um, and I remember being like, well, I should read a children's Bible or something, right? <laughs> and re trying to read stories with my eldest daughter that I hadn't really interrogated through the eyes of an oversensitive toddler hmm. and feeling like, um, oh, this isn't good. I don't know how, I don't know what to do with this stuff. Like I remember at one point, Annie um, looking up at me in the story and being like, is God the good guy or the bad guy? And not really wow. having a great answer. That's a, that's a question. That's yeah. a, you are doing something right with your parenting. If your child feels comfortable to not only articulate something that, um, or think something that profound, but articulate it as well. Well done, Sarah. <laughs> so at the time I just kind of like, was like, well, we're done reading the Bible. That's enough of that. <laughs> because all of a sudden I'm reading it through the eyes of, you know, these babies who are like, well, what happened to all the people who didn't get in the ark? And, you know, what happened to all the people inside? Well, we, when we finished singing the Jericho song, like, this is not great, right? <laughs> so, and so it was then that I was introduced to um, that hermeneutic, which is a word I don't feel qualified to use, but um of reading the Bible through the lens of Jesus. And so if Jesus was the word, which was a big reset for me of being told that, you know, your Bible is the word to actually begin to realize, no, actually Jesus is the word. Then how did Jesus explain the scriptures? Um, how did Jesus teach us how to live? Um, and that required me to begin to ask if any inter interpretation of scripture I had um, or was given um, was moving me and all of us really, um, uh, further into an understanding of the nature and the character of God, I think towards that compassion and, and love, um, that wholeness and flourishing that I really genuinely believed was the heart of God. Um, even yeah. in the midst of 
whatever doubt and questions and, you know, cynicism and brokenheartedness um, and disillusionment, um, there is that phrase that Jesus says often in the gospels of you have heard it said, but I say, and I couldn't really quite get over it because it felt to me like Jesus was showing me how to read my Bible, um, was showing me how to approach that because in so many ways, Jesus shows us how we have misunderstood and misrepresented and mischaracterized God's heart for us. Mm-hmm. And so then to take that lens of Jesus back um, to those stories that troubled me, to the things that made me angry, to the things that, um, you know, and, and understanding, you know, like history and poetry and literature and all those things, that's, that's all helpful. And I know that's not everybody's story um, in terms of, of scripture, um, but I cling to my Bible more now mm. um, and lean more heavily mm-hmm. on the stories and the promises and the vision, uh, the hope, um, being changed and challenged and learning how to s- tell the story of scripture with my children helped me learn to love, love scripture again. Because then with my kids, I started with Jesus. Hmm. I started with this foundation of their belovedness and of his goodness, um, of how he treated people, of how he moved through the world. And then we went back and could fill in things, but that worked for us, worked for me. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I really resonate with what you're saying because in fact, I mean, down to even your phrases where like some of the ways that I was wrestling and grappling, I think about during my undergrad years. Um, so all of a sudden in class, we're all of a sudden like realizing that Christians have radically different interpretations and understandings around Christianity and God and <laughs> questions around like violence, you know, was a big one mm-hmm. at Messiah and how do we think about that? and. Um, and they're helping us see like how slavery was interpreted and gender and all, all these things. And and one of the things that I that I really struggled with initially was it seems like everybody's got a way to they got their list of Bible verses right that they can pull. And so I'm like, is there any way we can read the Bible with integrity? Um, and so the language of the lens of Jesus and, and some of the same passages that you were describing were really important for me on my journey in terms of just um, trying to really re-centralize Jesus and see Jesus as the the end goal and the fulfillment of scripture, but really um, just leaning in heavy. I mean, I, in some ways, maybe overdid it in my undergrad um, to a way of you? like- Drew, yeah. you Drew, <laughs> I know. But I'm, I, when I say that, like in terms of like maybe avoiding wrestling a little bit, I probably could have wrestled a little bit more. And so it was just like an easy, quick answer to everything. But I think I needed that at that moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but nonetheless, yeah, that, that has been such a huge part. And certainly, I mean, I think even if I would like to think it's more nuanced now, but certainly that's still, I would, defining so much of who I am in my journey has been mm. that um, path of coming to the texts, um, not with a flat text, not with a yeah. use your own, you know, Bible verse to weaponize and beat people over the head with, right? And all that other stuff that we've seen so often. 
Um, so in light of that journey and this, you know, really beautiful um, way that you've encountered scripture, um, you've, you know, read already Matthew 11. Um, I'd love for you to enter us into a conversation and, and maybe we can see a little bit of just, you know, how um, Jesus shapes how you come to the text even today. So can you just enter us into conversation together around this passage that you've picked? Sure. Well, I, I alluded to it earlier, um, but there was a moment when I really, really needed to hear this. And so, and there were a few reasons why. And I, I remember like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you're sure you must've read it before, but then there comes that moment where it was just almost like the Holy spirit, like shines like a flashlight on something. And you're mm -hmm. just like, Oh, mm -hmm. the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like that for me because, um, that idea of being really burned out on religion was very acute for me at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, I probably was about 25 years old. I'm 42 now. So someone who's good at math can figure that out. <laughs> Not me, <laughs> Not me either. but I remember just bursting into tears over it because for me, the Christian religion had had at that point become the complete opposite of it. It mm. was heavy. It was ill-fitting. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, of um, ease to it. Um, everything, it become a place of heartbreak for me, both personally, uh, communally, vocationally. Mm. Um, I mean, this was years before Donald Trump was on the scene. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that vision from Jesus um, and that promise even of an unforced rhythm of grace um, in a life of faith, uh, it felt... I don't know. Um, everything around me felt a lot like behavior modification and performance and a big adventure and missing the point. And hmm. so, you know, earning and striving and, you know, whatever else, it felt like somebody giving me permission to like take a breath and not have it figured out for a minute. Mm -hmm. And I think that, so I was thinking about it in terms of our conversation, I think, especially given kind of like the nature of how what maybe a lot of us are feeling at this point in the pandemic, yeah. at this point oh. in, um, you know, the communal losses, the disillusionment, the grief. I don't know. I've kind of talked a bit over these last little while about how this, this, but we're living in an apocalypse, mm -hmm. right. In that truest sense of enough of an unveiling or revelation, yeah. um, things in the dark are being dragged, kicking and screaming into the light and hallelujah, but it's yeah. disruptive. And so the first thing that mattered to me is that Jesus acknowledged our weariness and our burden. I find it really helpful and incredibly kind um, that Jesus never judges the one who's burdened for having a burden mm -hmm. or the sad one, right. For being sad or um, denies, I guess the brokenhearted one, you know, for having a broken heart, you know, Jesus isn't the one who's saying, if you were more faithful, you know, if you had better doctrine, if you had, you know, these things kind of figured out, then you wouldn't feel that way. You know, if you had more Bible studies and more prayer, more faith, right. And there's a real tenderness. And to me, I hear even a real, a real motherliness Yeah. in these words from Jesus, um, that God is acknowledging and even blessing, um, and acknowledging that the yoke has been too heavy, that it, ha it has been too much to bear. 
And it reminds, again, you can tell I'm a mom of four, (laughs) (laughs) but it reminded me of when, when the kids were little, my kids are older now. Um, my two older children are well over six feet tall. It's very disorienting, Jared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I remember when, um, you know, when they would fall or something would go wrong and I would I always call them like a poor wee lamb. I'd say, oh, you poor wee lamb. Mm-hmm. And then one day when our youngest daughter, uh, Maggie, when she was like just a wee little thing, she was probably like barely two. And she had been out with the babysitter for the day. And she had a little fall, you know, scraped up her knees and like, you know, the palms of her hands and she was totally fine. Right. She played the rest of the day. But when I walked in the door, she turned to me like lip quivering, tears filled with eyes. And she goes, mommy, would you please call me a poor wee lamb? And there was something that she was needing in that tender acknowledgement of her pain. Right. Um, Mm. And so in some ways, maybe that's why I think that it reads or sounds motherly to me, like, um, like God as a mother is uh, joining us in acknowledging our pain and our burden, naming it and giving us kind of a path um, towards life. And I don't even necessarily just mean that in terms of like our personal burdens, which of course matter to God deeply. Um, But even the acknowledgement that the burdens aren't just internal, but they're also external, right? That you can yeah. call out that um, that heavy yoke of the religious elite or the, the powerful or that our culture places, right? Upon ordinary people, that it's not imaginary, right? That it's placed there. Um, and so, yeah, it's weary, right? I mean, in my tradition, very charismatic, I'm super comfortable with words like powers and principalities. Mm. You know, those are, are real, right? And I don't know what else to call things like, you know, violence and poverty and homophobia and patriarchy and white supremacy. Like these are the powers and principalities that are a heavy burden. Right. And it's not, it's, I think it's good and healing to name that. Right. And to acknowledge that, that um, yeah. So I think, I mean, that was one of the first things Um, there's other things we can talk about in the passage, like that mattered to me, but that was one I thought was, important to name in this moment does that make sense mm. yeah 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 i think that resonates I, I i mean i just came from a community meeting and you know one of the young women who is a co-leader for our group and she was just talking about you know just how heavy you know she's like does anybody have a word of hope you know for um and i just think that so many folks are feeling it and are discouraged and there's lots of reasons both certainly in our own community here at harrisburg we've just seen so much in fact pennsylvania right now is seeing the highest spikes in covid that we've seen mm-hmm. at any point is actually happening right this moment um and then, yeah, it, I could go on and on and on about all the different things that are going on locally as well as the nationally. Um, and then the frustration that many have in terms of their own churches and, and the role that the church has played in the midst. Of, I mean, it's just, it, it's a lot. People are caring so much. Um, it is. I don't know what other people's um, intention or... Um, practices around media and particularly consuming um, the, the news. Uh, um, f- for me, my, my bare minimum is 10 minutes with Amy Goodman with the Democracy Now! 
headline news um, on weekdays. And she made a mistake, was it yesterday or the day before? And she was talking about the number of deaths um, in that geographical location just south of Canada and north of Mexico, uh, where she talked about 800 deaths and moved on. And then she came back in the, and she said, excuse me, 800,000 deaths. deaths. And there was something yeah. about her getting, getting it wrong initially and, and then coming back and said it. I found myself weeping. And mm. it, it was something that the 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 mistake mistake of it, it like to just pause like oh my goodness eight hundred souls 800, and then to come back and go eight hundred thousand so like is just there is so much that so many are carrying mm. right now, um, and I loved how you articulated not merely the internal and external because I, I think they're um, their constructs that we create, and I'm not sure they actually exist. Uh, I, I think this internal, external stuff um, uh, it is far more permeable and interrelated um, and shared that whether it's articulated or not, or whether we're from an individualist um, uh, culture or a collectivist culture or not, the reality is that w- whatever one is, walking through it is shared the question is whether it's shared well or, or whether it is shared poorly um but I, I love that you articulated that because i think there is so much that um uh, people are carrying and it's just hard for lots of people at the moment it is and i think that's maybe part of the you know again the the branch or twig of christianity that i you know, originated from, um, struggled so much with telling the truth. And so maybe that's why even it feels so revolutionary to me to be able to say that out loud, to be able to acknowledge, um, and name those things to, to learn, um, this opens up, you know, practices of lament of, um, you know, prophetic witness, of the ministry of presence with one another, um, all things that I had to learn very late in my life, um, oftentimes because I didn't know that Jesus could acknowledge that burden yeah. with us. And so I think that's part of the reason why that maybe caught me so much initially and continues to, to really um, grab me. I see how much it means when you're, experiences or when the the things that are true are said out loud um i think it matters and so that's why i think it matters that the that next part in the passage that then gave me a path um is jesus saying you know come away with me right walk with me work with Mm. me see how i'm doing it Right. Just like that invitation um, to Jesus as way of being human that I find, you know, I don't know, just more compelling isn't quite the right word. But, you know, for me, beginning to see that subversiveness of Jesus, the the parts of and, and nature of God that had been so um, tamed and interpreted away. Um, or neutered and inoculated, right? That Jesus um, 
you know, was embodying a real rest, right? An unforced rhythm of grace that included that God was, you know, feeding the hungry and aligning with the poor and the oppressed and, you know, honoring children and um, eating with sex workers and sinners and calming storms, but taking naps and, you know, feasting with people and, you know, laughing too hard and um, washing people's feet and having friends. Um, and so it looked like that, you know, rhythm, unforced rhythm of grace, right? That a freedom and wholeness that encompasses kind of the totality of what it is to walk with Jesus. And so that invitation of walking with Jesus became like um, life and breath to me. Um, Jesus will mess you up. <laughs> so <laughs> That's a joke. I, I've always said that it was following Jesus that made a feminist out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, which some corners of Christendom really like. <laughs> Others not so much. <laughs> you know, but it was following Jesus that made me care about, you know, uh climate change and mm-hmm. uh stewardship yeah. of the earth, um, truth and reconciliation here in Canada, mm-hmm. um uh, indigenous rights, uh murdered and missing uh indigenous women and girls and and water. Right. It was um, Jesus that led me to becoming fully affirming. It was following Jesus that made me care about, like, you know, justice of borders and theology and fiscal policy and, you know, but also people and yeah. meals and um, knowing your neighbors. Mm. Um, it was, you know, following Jesus that led me to really love um, the world again to love creation again, to realize how much God loved the world. And there was permission there to just love the world, not in general, but like in particular, mm, right. Yeah. With like muscles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was, you know, following Jesus. That'll make you pray for your enemies instead of curse right. them. Right. Yeah. And so that unforced rhythm of grace, that, um, that invitation from Jesus in this passage of just come away with me, just walk with me, see how I'm doing it. Mm. Right. To me, that had, um, I don't know, it meant that what I had thought was kind of the wilderness became a homecoming. Um, And so, yeah, it wasn't it was there's enough there to feast on for your whole life for me. Yeah. Yeah. But I know you guys have a very similar story. I mean, Jesus messed you both up. Yeah, <laughs> and sure. continues to. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I think about so I've been having conversations because I've, I mean, it's at Messiah. We have, I mean, a range of students going through a range of experiences while they're there, and we there's a portion of students that leave really frustrated with the church, with Christianity, and my deep hope, my longing for them is that that. I can introduce them to this, there's this really, uh, this side of Jesus, or maybe even for some of them, maybe have never met this Jesus that we're talking about, but it's, uh, you know, an intimate, the intimacy, the rests, the wholeness, the, the seeing people, right. Um, that, that everything that you described, Sarah, that people can, grow into a love for their neighbors, for their community, for the lands, for, you know, all of that because of their encounter with Jesus. And I think that's, that's right. what I want them to see, because for some of them, it's like, all right, I'm done with the whole thing. I'm, I'm done with everything. And they've, uh, you know, connected Jesus with all the white supremacy and oppression and violence and stuff that they've seen uh, churches, right, explicitly participate in. And so 
my my deep hope is that they can see that there is a better way of life um, when we walk with Jesus, encounter and experience the living presence of Jesus in our lives and get to know and take seriously the life, get a vision, right, for um, the kind of person we see, the prophetic witness, the love, um, and the transformation that we receive when we walk with him. So, yeah, I think mm -hmm. that it's powerful. And that certainly is my testimony is, um, <laughs> I am I love more that word, testimony. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> testimony time, but, um, you can get a witness. Yeah. Can I get a witness out here? Um, that, you know, I love Jesus more now today than I ever have. Right. Um, and I was, I mean, in some ways, having that conversation with a student just two days ago, mm -hmm. um, just trying to, in in a different way, non-coercively, just share my testimony with them as they're kind of struggling. Um, and I think that, yeah, there's there people need to experience that. And if we've been with Jesus, um, and we ought to be able to make Jesus manifest and visible for other folks as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder in part if it's some of the nuances of how we tell the story that means that people are surprised that, um, I mean, where did we get the idea that this was going to be idyllic? I mean, sometimes I'm like, Jesus, why can't we just have a nice time? Like, <laughs> 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 but uh, I mean. Have the, those conversations the, too. Okay, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> The nature of the cross is confrontation with everything that doesn't look like the love that Jesus embodies. Um, I mean, we, we've just lost um, bell hooks and, mm -hmm. um, you know, her, her talk of um, uh, where there is love, there can be no domination mm -hmm. is one of the most profound theological insights into the nature of the reign of God and what Jesus reveals. Um, and, and those who have followed Bell Hook's journey as, as closely um, as some of us nerdy types have for years and years, um, listening to her talk, um, you know, over a decade ago with Tavis Smiley and Cornell West, where she's pleading the blood of Jesus as someone for whom, like, engaged Buddhism has been very important in her own trauma, um, the healing of trauma within the church, um, there is this um, proximity and reflection on the gospel from Bell Hooks, which offers us so much. And I think some of the things that it offers, offers us and some of the things that are sometimes lost in the conversation is that what we're incorporated into um, is a family argument um, and that, that Jesus, and when Jesus invites Jared into this, I'm not to be anti-Pharisees. I've been brought into the pharisaicalism that jesus himself is a product of and so when he is arguing with the religion it's it's a it's an internal conversation um when we read the scriptures through jesus it's not re jesus versus the jews it's um jesus siding with a particular interpretation of the Jewish tradition as a Jew and us as outsiders by grace have been grafted into that conversation mm -hmm. and how uh, the Hebraic imagination works with the scriptures is that it's always like we're like children of Jacob, we're, we're Israel, we're, we're the struggle. We've been named for, for the struggle. And I wonder if some of us, um, if, if we were, <laughs> if we're aware that 
like when people use the language of um, deconstruction that you brought up earlier, Sarah, um, that this isn't a thing to go through once you leave something behind. It's, it's actually the journey of discipleship, of what it is to leave behind that which does not look like love and is domination and be immersed in, in a different way of being together that is truly freedom. That's, that's a different kind of conversation, right? Mm-hmm. It's completely different. I love that. Love that. Which goes back to, I think, even your question uh, earlier, Drew, about, or I can't remember which, actually which one of you asked it, about like the lens or the hermeneutic or whatever that you bring yeah. to scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's, that's a big part of the journey as well, right? Is um, I love Jesus and my Bible better when I hear from other people who are, um, why they love Jesus and their yeah. Bibles. Um, and so I had, just as I had the, a similar experience that way with, um, learning to read scripture through the lens of Jesus years ago, um, I felt very similarly, um, that sort of revelation, um, first time I began reading like black womenist scholars when it yeah. came to scripture, um, yeah. hearing like someone just completely build out Hagar hearing Austin Channing mm. Brown preach about Rizpah, um, mm-hmm. you know, learning, like you were saying, the Hebraic tradition, this way of understanding scriptures, of, of sitting at that feet, of decentering kind of the way that, the way that you come to the scripture, all those things are, um, I don't know, they enrich and they turn into a prism so many different ways to catch light and catch goodness and um, be transformed really. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a really beautiful thing you brought up, Jared. Thank you for that. Mm. Oh, um, so anyway, finish. (laughs) I could stay stay in that conversation for a while. Um, But the last thing that came up for me in this passage of scripture that has been really helpful um, is that I think that part near the end where Jesus acknowledges that, that there's still work to do right? That there's, that it's not that there's no yoke, it's that his yoke is easy and the burden is light. Um, And so it's not necessarily, um, you know, a matter of things being evil or, you know, it's benign, right? This sense of like a tool. Um, It's a way of keeping company. And so that's that gospel of hope that we talked about a little bit earlier about like a God who enters in um that god is as present in that work that is our suffering or our joys um, our grief and our victories um and that god has invited us into that kind of good work right that god's alongside of us in that sort of hope i think that's one of the reasons why these last few years i have not really been able to shut up about like emmanuel like god with us right um and so it's not that like you said jesus can't we have a nice time (laughs) (laughs) the cry the cry of this enneagram nine's heart (laughs) (laughs) it's more this sense of that the work can also be a blessing to me yeah right that that even the work of co-creation of um um you uh mentioned earlier even about the cross like by its very nature that idea of, of light disrupting darkness, like that's just, yeah. that's the nature of it. Right. And so the um, invitation into the work, the invitation into that work of um, co-creation of participation in the kingdom of God, of the healing and repair of the world. Right. Um, 
and that it's because of the love of God and the tenderness of God. Um, because now when we're alongside of each other, it's, it's communal, um, as well, there's this sense of it's good work to do, you know, and it, and it, um, it's an overflow of that rest and abundance and joy and freedom, um, of the wholeness of the love of God, that that's that unforced rhythm of grace, right? Because then no matter where you find yourself, um, it then becomes like an invitation to, um, embody shalom, Mm. right. Um, to be about the work of flourishing. Um, you know, it doesn't, I don't know, I guess, I guess for me, it's like, it's not just about my own wholeness or, you know, whatever else that matters to God deeply, but that we are awakened to love others as we love ourselves. Yeah. And that to me is that invitation of that work that we're called towards that the end of the story, isn't that wounding or the disappointment or the burdens um, or the exhaustion that the end of the story, isn't about um, the empire or the oppressor or the unjust prevailing um, that the end of that story is like, is one of our restoration and our, our, our healing and our wholeness that it's um, that least will be greatest and the last will be first and just will be made right. And um you know, captives set free and, and, and resurrection and redemption and renewal of all things, right. That God will wipe away all of our tears. And mm. this is the work we're invited into in sometimes very small and ordinary unseen, definitely uncelebrated ways That's of how we are um, able to walk with Jesus mm. in that. And that to me is not nice, but good. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, um, some scholars push back on the translation of easy here and Mm -hmm. um, say actually something like kind or good Mm -hmm. uh, might be a better translation than than easy, Um, which uh, (laughs) I I guess I guess the point that some translators are making with using easy is like jumping into Deuteronomy 30 about um, uh, that it's possible um, with with this on your hearts and on your lips. It, it's it's possible to to live. That it, mm-hmm. it's not out of reach. Like um, what it is to be faithful um, uh, is possible. Um, and maybe that's what was meant by by easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. It doesn't always feel easy though. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> easy is not. Is not the word I'd go to for how following Jesus sometimes feels. And I think mm-hmm. that's some of the tension, right? Is I mean, I like this passage is always helpful for me because growing up, um, the emphasis on like take up your cross, deny yourself, you know, like that was all into like you suffer for Jesus, like that's just what you do. Mm-hmm. Like that was built into like the ethos of certainly some of my upbringing, and so you know, it, with that emphasis, like, you don't always get a glimpse into the goodness that God has envisioned for us, right? The flourishing, the relationships, the healing, all of that can get lost in the like, you know, I'm just, I got to suffer for Christ. And so, Mm -hmm. and, and I know certainly one can err into the way of avoiding, you know, conflict and avoiding speaking truth and confrontation in a way that, you know, that would certainly be off as well. But I do think that there's something really beautiful about 
um, not losing sight of the goodness of co-participating with what God is doing in the world and, That's right. and experiencing it firsthand, right? The first witnesses to it on the ground of what God is doing and the, the deliverance that we're experiencing together um, in all the relationships, right? The familial relationships that grow out of this being in Christ and participating in Christ together. Mm. So yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, I will admit, like when I think about this passage, um, my mind, so I've, I always have James Cone in my head, right? I'm always, I'm always <laughs> just won't leave me alone. James Cone is just always there. It's like, I was watching, uh, I had my kids watching some like 90s um, comedies and they, you know how they do like the angels and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> always popping, you know? Good parenting, Drew. That's yeah, it. Yeah. 90s comedies, bring 90s it comedy. all, Everything's <laughs> a lesson, right? Um, and so James Cone certainly is on one shoulder all the time and so I was thinking about Cone's, um, so, all right, so let me set it up and say first, like my, my initial response when I'd hear this would be, so if you asked me like 10 years ago, I would say this passage is not for everybody, right? I would say some people need to hear Jesus, take up your cross, follow me. And for those that are oppressed and suffering, disproportionately suffering the world, that this is the message for them, right? Um, and, but I, so Cohn actually challenges me on that, you know, um, kind of oversimplified kind of take. And I think, so he wrestles with the fact that um, white people would sometimes say to him, well, aren't we, aren't all oppressed, right? <laughs> and Cohn's response is, is yes but mm -hmm. but also no in the sense of what they mean by it mm -hmm. but yes in the sense that everyone is but they just haven't fully fully understood fully understood the scope of of their own oppression right and until they can take seriously um those who are concretely oppressed they don't won't fully understand the ways in which their own lives are also oppressed also um and that's so that then liberation is for everyone, but they need to understand and be committed to the concrete liberation of, of concrete oppressed people to fully uh, experience for themselves also their joint liberation. Anyway, so I say all that to say in this text, like, uh, you know, I, my initial jerk reaction is like, well, you're going to have some like, folks living comfortable talking about oh my yoke you know <laughs> mm -hmm. and like how hard their lives are and stuff like that but in reality is i mean everyone is in in very different ways right experiencing um a heavy burden um but I, but i do think there is a way in which it's really important for people to see that as they also see how their own lives maybe also create heavy burdens for others, right? That's and right. Not see them That's as separate word. from one another. Yeah. Um, and so how do we invite people in to see their heavy burdens in relationship with the, the way that our lives are structured and creating burdens for other people as well? Yeah. Mm. That'll preach. Yeah, the, the, the weight of the heavy burden of keeping yourself from being fully human by being an oppressor is not the same weight as the heavy right. burden of living under oppression that keeps you from being fully human. Right, mm -hmm. right, exactly. Mm -hmm. I wonder, um, some of the stuff that comes to mind for me, uh, Sarah and Drew, and I'm aware of the time, and um, 
uh, a lot of people are here because they have questions for Sarah. So we'll yeah. keep this short. But in terms of the context of the passage, Jesus has just come from some like Amos slash Micah style like um, calling out this city and this city for their proximity to the capitals and how those in the capitals who are the uh, royalty or um, the lawyers or uh, the, the bankers or um, those who are part of the religious elite are actually taxing those in the countryside, oppressing everyone. So Jesus has just finished SmackDown and then brought up children, um, not in terms of like, um, innocence, but maybe inability to wield coercive power, like as a basic, like becoming like children um, in terms of actually maybe it's about positionality in the society. Um, then this passage, which you've just read, but importantly, it then goes on to talk about um, quoting Hosea, I desire um, mercy, not sacrifice. And for, for us to link together what is often um, uh, torn apart that the work of vulnerably calling stuff out is the work of stepping in to what it is to not wield coercive power but stand in the light and call others into the light um, instead of um, uh, you know damn people in in darkness and that part of that work isn't um, this um, martyrdom, self-sacrifice, saviour kind of, Jesus is constantly going, not that kind of saviour, not that kind of Messiah. It's not going to look like that. It's not going to look, but instead to hear what it is that God actually really does desire mercy, compassion, like um, th that costly, imaginative um, uh, solidarity of tenderness with all who are hurting, not sacrifice. No more blood needs to be shed. Um, God uh, doesn't need any more sacrifice and if we can allow that to affect our um, uh, understandings of uh, atonement and eschatology but also discipleship that um, th this work of healing justice um, isn't about becoming sacrifices as Paul puts it it's the emphasis is on living sacrifice I wonder if we put those things together we can then hear Cone in such a way that um, Jesus is is wearing the yoke himself apparently it is light and kind and we're being invited to come alongside and put that around ourselves as well and join him in what he's doing. That's an invitation which actually does liberate. We find ways to love ourselves while loving others um, uh, because we fall in love with the God who's first loved us. That, that truly does sound like good news. Yeah. Does it ever? Yeah. Yeah, Sarah, That's this is word. so timely. This is this passage. Oh, yeah. I feel like... There's going to be people uh, uh, re-listening to this, right, multiple times. I just feel like um, this is the season that um, many of us are undergoing right now. And so I appreciate just the kind of pastoral sensitivity That's to right. maybe it's even just because your own experiences, as you said, also, but but inviting us all into to reflect on this is um, so needed. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Bessie on repeat. Not just me, you too. I mean, that it ministered to me, right? And that's just it. I think that's part of the the beauty of these spaces as well is that sense of um, I don't know um, conversation. But I just that that was a gift to me. You brought some such richness to me and something that has been meaningful. And it and again, the same thing happens again, right? Of um, 
you love things better when you hear how other people love them and how they come to them. Yeah. And uh, so thank you for that. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Sarah, before we um, end the official podcasting time and spend time in community um, together, uh, I'm wondering, would you feel comfortable to, to pray for our listeners, given everything we've shared about the current context and what people are carrying? Yeah, sure. Sure, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I should probably warn your poor people, like, the way that I pray may not be the way that you pray. <laughs> <laughs> the disclaimers. <laughs> I did not. I keep my flags and my tambourines in the drawers. So we'll at least try to behave if, ourselves. If any you, listeners you know, have, have an interpretation of what Sarah's playing, uh, praying, <laughs> please write in and tell us. <laughs> you don't have to behave here. The good thing everybody's sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, Jesus. What a space we have carved out tonight. Nothing even remotely close to a safe place, but a sanctuary. I'm just so grateful for my brothers and grateful for everyone who's been able to join in with us in all of this conversation. I want to name and acknowledge and bless the burdens that have been carried into this space. Hmm. Whether they are outside forces of the things that have um, the apocalyptic powers and principalities that are, at that are at work in our world right now, or whether it's the small griefs and sorrows and struggles that maybe nobody else would be aware of among us. We bless that, Jesus. We bless it. Would you be Emmanuel in those spaces, the God who is with us? And thank you for this evening of conversation that has included everything from our burdens to our yearning for grace, our hopes for what this world could be, relationship and vocation and hope and goodness and students asking questions, the ways that we've wrestled with scripture, the ways that we are wrestling with you still. We bless that. I ask that you would wrap that around us, that sense of um, everything that we brought into this space, everything we brought into this moment, um, that you would hold that as beloved and worthy just as we are in this moment that um, we would be able to remember not just the things that we have lost um, but also the things that we have learned um, the ways that we've even seen you at work in us and through us and around us um, may we be as kind and as gentle with ourselves and each other as you are with us. And help us to see the world the way that you see the world. Help us to love the world the way that you love the world. Teach us how to love the world again and again and again, not in general, but in particular. Give us a vision for what that might look like, what that could be. Um, thank you for inviting us into the work. 
that becomes gentle and kind, a path to walk and an invitation. Help us to fall in step with, with you, um, to be alongside of you as we move through our days, however they look, wherever they are, wherever you call us or lead us, wherever we find ourselves, whether we are in uh, back rooms or, or boardrooms or back alleys or kitchens, wherever we have found ourselves, may we know the truth of who you are who you have called us to be, the work that you have called us to be about in the world as a people of faith and hope and love in the midst of all of this. I bless everybody who is listening, everybody who has spent this time with us. I pray that in all of the corners of their life, they would sense your invitation to come away with you, to walk with you and see how you do it, to interrogate and question to learn new lenses and new ways of reading scripture, to be in conversation with people who will help them learn to love their Bible or their, their God or their church or um, each other or themselves better and more truly and more honestly. Thank you, Jesus, for all the ways that you surprise us, all the ways that you mess with us. Thank you for giving us a vision for how to see this world and each other and ourselves. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God and mother of us all. Amen. 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 The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.